0: This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com.
1: To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown!
0: Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report.
1: Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. like
2: a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor, to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the Touchdown!
0: The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go.
1: One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel?
0: Here's Craig Grealoux, Paul Calvisi, and 13-year NFL veteran Drew Stanton.
2: So three weeks ago yesterday gentlemen owner Michael Bidwell said he was going to quote cast the Nets far and wide when it came to finding the next head coach dare I say the man is true to his word the net has been cast far and wide upwards now Paul of 11 different candidates reportedly linked to the Arizona Cardinals and here we are on the last day of January still
3: without a head coach and dare I say we will go into February without a head coach when they're done with the search they're going to loan out the net to one of those alaskan fishing boats you know one of those tuna boats that's how big the net is you know like one of those nets you see under the trapeze artists in the big top it's a big net Gray. has it been recast though i guess that's the question after the initial
2: rush if you will drew now all of a sudden three additional names have been added
3: to the list.
4: Well, I think part of it is you want to be able to take your time and make sure you're getting all the information that you can, right? And you don't want somebody else to beat you to the punch, knowing that there's other openings still out there. And it's this posturing that kind of goes on and you sit there and you're saying, okay, well, we don't want to miss out on Sean Payton. If we got a chance to get Sean Payton, well, yeah, but you don't want to give up a first round pick for Sean Payton all of these things that you look at with these different candidates, and they all bring different things to the table, right? Each organization, all 32 teams are completely different, have different needs, and now the general manager is set in stone of what's going to happen. He is going to be able to put his imprint on who is going to be hired. And so, as you're kind of fact-checking things, you're looking at things, and even as the NFL season's not even done, you're getting access to some of these coaches, right, that you didn't have access to before. So, you know, like many years ago, we saw a different coordinator saying, okay, well, there's only only one head coaching job left, and we know as soon as the Super Bowl is done, he's taken that job. That's not the case here. That's not the case in the NFL right now. There's still a lot of great quality coaches. But what you're looking for to lead this team, lead lead this franchise, could be vastly different than what the Indianapolis Colts are looking for. And also, on the flip side, what these candidates are looking for, right? You've seen some of them pull their names out of the hat. Dan Quinn's going back to Dallas. All of these people that you're just trying to figure out, it's always a work in progress. You're sitting there and you're always you know, accumulating this information, and there's another guy in here interviewing today. So as you figure this out, obviously the central and focal point is how can you get the most out of Kyler Murray and build from there? And that's going to be the biggest question of the off season is what can this team do and put a head coach in place that's going to present optimism for this franchise, for this fan base, and for this entire city to rally behind the future of of what the Arizona Cardinals are going to be.
2: We'll get to Kyler Murray here in a moment, but Paul, here are the newest names linked to this head coaching search. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday reported interviews with Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo, and Bengals offensive coordinator Brian and bringing the total to 11 different candidates linked to this
3: job. Four of those now 11 with backgrounds on offense. Why not? To Drew's point, the urgency isn't necessarily there. I mean, the music hasn't completely stopped in this musical chairs. You know how it works when the music stops and all of a sudden the hiring spree starts. Well, Frank Reich went to Carolina. We figured D'Amico Ryan's maybe in the next 24 hours, it'll be official going to the Houston Texans, which I think was a done deal from the get-go. He played there a decade. The fans want him. His wife was from the Houston area. Okay. Denver? Uh, Maybe Jim Harbaugh? Based on everything's trending on social media and the owner actually flew to ann arbor recently we'll see about that and then you have no idea what indianapolis is doing although most figure they're gonna, after interviewing about 25 different candidates they're still gonna end up with jeff saturday so you know what take your time make sure you get it right to drew's point maybe you get some intel from some other sources, now that, for example, Cincinnati is out of the playoffs, you can interview their coordinators. You're not exactly familiar with what you have under the hood there. So, yeah, I see it. And on top of all that, dot, 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 if you're truly interested in Sean Payton, and it's a a matter of negotiating with both Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints, then why not continue to interview candidates and let Payton and New Orleans know, guess what? We'll do it. We'll hire someone else if you don't come down in your asking price. And that's the wild card in all of this, because not only do you have to pay
2: him, but it's the compensation. And how much is the asking price with respect
3: to draft picks and or players? Yep. Because that can get a little bit steep. Absolutely. And what what does New Orleans have right now in terms of leverage? Is anybody else going after Sean Payton? What does Sean Payton have, Drew? He has Fox. But everyone thinks, oh, Fox. This isn't like he's John Gruden on Monday Night Football making eight figures. This is a pregame Fox show. I'm guessing
4: that leaves a lot to be desired for Sean Payton. He'd much rather be a head coach. If we're going to be completely honest, uh, Sean Payton wants three jobs. (laughs) One in Dallas, two in L.A. This is not that job. This is not that place. It behooves the New Orleans Saints to say, okay, well, we want a first-round pick. It behooves Sean Payton to say, I'm not afraid to go back to a studio gig and do all that He is a phenomenal coach. He is a phenomenal leader of men, but he wants one of three jobs. And all of those jobs that he thought might be open, so he throws his hat in the ring, are not open. Sean Payton's not coming here. Now, it also helps for a bargaining tool for the Arizona Cardinals to say, yeah, we'll leave that door open, right? Like, that is a beautiful thing to be able to dangle out once you kind of hone in on your candidates and say, well, you know, we also like Sean Payton. So sometimes these organizations these coaches these people they're strategic too they use the media to their advantage and let things float out there on twitter and jim harbaugh or anything like that of what's going on in denver because denver's the head scratcher they said they're going back to square one they've had the head coaching vacancy (laughs) the longest and you're sitting how do you not have a plan in place how do you not understand they didn't have to hire a new gm they didn't have to do any of this stuff And this was a sought-after job last year of, like, they've got a top defense. They've got Russell Wilson as the missing link. They had a complete downward spiral of a season. But that's still a job that you look at and say, I can turn this around quickly, right? So where you're going to end up and what you're going to do, but Sean Payton coming here is not a reality, in my opinion.
2: The three new names, Drew, I know you've been – you're able to pick up that phone, and within a phone call or two, you're able to reach out to anyone across the NFL. That's just how vast your connections are during your time in the how NFL. How old I am. No, I'm saying how vast of your knowledge. Thanks, not that yeah. old. Your, your your experience. Yeah. The three new names, Kafka, Callahan, and Anarumo. Any familiarity? Any connections? Know anything of them outside of the fact that Kafka is – I went back and looked it up. He's 35 years old. He'll be 36 when the season begins. By yeah. comparison, Cliff was 39 when he was hired four years ago.
4: Look, I think you got to get ahead of the curve, especially somebody like Mike Kafka that played at Northwestern, uh, was in the Big Ten against him. I know him. We have the same agent. I know Mike Kafka look at what he did when he took over in Kansas City to help Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes even talks about how good he is. That's a reputable source, right, to be able to do that. You subplant him and you take him over when there were so many question marks in New York about what's going to happen with Daniel Jones. Is he worth getting paid? Is he doing any of this, right? You take an offensive mind, a guy that has a disposition to him, and he has the ability to have an effect wherever he goes. Mike Kafka is that guy. And when you identify that guy, right, wrong or indifferent, you go all in on him much like Sean McVay, right? There's just guys that are uh, cut above the rest or different that have those kind of capabilities. You can't miss out on him, and age is not a limiting factor, right? And then you look at Callahan, you obviously know who he's the son of, right? Where he's been, the pedigree. I don't know either one of those coordinators very well in Cincinnati, but you know the type of offense they're going to bring to the table. You look at all of these things, and there's so much that goes into it, so there's an idea there, right? You look at the defensive coordinator amazing, maybe the best, really, at making second-half adjustments. That's what the game of football is about. What do you do after you get punched in the mouth and your plan A is thrown by the wayside? So all three of these candidates are very, very intriguing in my mind. If the other guys were so good before, then there's probably a chance they would have been hired, or they're sitting there saying, we got to at least give these three a chance because – Look, the finish line is out there in front of us. We're eventually going to get there, but we want to cast that net so far and wide that we're going to take our time. Jonathan Gannon's another guy, right, for the the Eagles that you want to sit there and say they had the most sacks, and yes, sometimes it's personnel. They had the most sacks since the 85 Bears. 70.
3: 70 sacks. I mean, yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. so I don't care what you're doing. Part of that is scheme, right? So to be able to do it, there you want to interview him and you look at the different coordinators that you get access to, you want to be respectful of their time and until they pull their name out of the ring, let's go for it, right? You don't know who it's going to be and you've got to be able to to get as much information and take your time as strenuous of a process that it is. You've got to get it right because they have not gotten it right within this organization the last couple of times.
3: Mike Kafka interviewing today. I mean, it's one thing to be the QB coach of Patrick Mahomes in 2018, 2019. Then he was a passing game coordinator. But what he did with Daniel Jones this past year, the difference was significant. He was a turnover machine until this year with Mike Kafka and Brian Dable. And Daniel Jones, uh, I mean, maybe the most surprising season of any quarterback this year. You look at
2: not only the Arizona Cardinals, but according to reports, Kafka's also interviewed with the Colts, Panthers, and Texans. Obviously, Carolina going with Frank Reich. Can we assume that D'Amico Ryans is going to get the job in Houston? That leaves three other vacancies in addition to the Cardinals still left. But we talk about what this team needs as far as a head coach with respects to Kyler Murray. Well, some news on QB1 as reported by NFL Network's Ian Rappaport.
0: When is Kyler Murray going to be ready? And this topic for sure has come up during these interviews as Murray recovers from an ACL injury and a torn meniscus. My understanding is he is going to take his time and make sure this thing is 100% right. He is young, he's got a long career, he's not gonna rush, so do not be surprised if we don't see him to start the season or maybe even by the midway point, this injury has to heal perfectly.
2: Interesting choices of words in that report for me, Drew, as you look at hearing Rappaport say 100% right, heal perfectly. Surgery was done on January 3rd. Kyler recently on Instagram posted a picture with a gigantic scar and stitches still in the knee, looked exhausted sitting on a training table, so that rehab has already begun. Question is, is that week one? Is it, as Rappaport suggested, potentially week eight or week nine? It's a big unknown
4: at this point. Yeah, it's a, it's a ginormous unknown, right? And I'm always curious are you going to call him K1, QB1? Well, I mean, how do you decipher what you're going to call them? <sighs> Just off the top of okay, my head. Okay, yeah, you just let it fly. I like it. Uh, so, in saying that, you've got to have a plan in place for your quarterback, for that quarterback room in general, right? If Kyler's not going to come back and hopefully he does, you know, a part of the football as much as he can possibly do without putting him in harm's way. Being 100%. What does that look like? Is that Kyler's assessment? Is that the training room's assessment? Is that the coach's assessment? And a communication is going to be imperative moving forward and having a realistic expectation of what that's going to be. And then having a contingency plan in place. We're very fortunate right now to have Colt McCoy on the roster. Depending on what offense comes into this system, could have an effect on that or what the philosophy is of keeping three quarterbacks versus two quarterbacks, right? What a head coach wants to do. So that's why I think you're seeing this slow play as far as who you're going to hire as a head coach, because that all fits into roster manipulation throughout the course of the season, being able to go into week one and having a vastly different plan. And that's really where I thought you know, the Cardinals struggled this year, is they had so many things that they had to adapt on the fly, right? All of a sudden, D Hop misses the first six games, and then Hollywood Brown gets hurt. So, you're not getting all of your guys on the same active roster that you're hoping for. So, what do you do in place? You have to have a strong culture and philosophy of what you're going to do. And Monty touched on it in his introductory press conference. But when you're interviewing these head coaches, okay, you're going to have Kyler week one. What does that look like? You're going to have Kyler midway through the season. What does that look like? And have these coaches extract to them what they're thinking about because that is that is the starting point. And if you don't like that answer right off the bat, then nothing else matters because Kyler Murray needs to get back to being the Pro Bowl cal- caliber quarterback that everybody is looking for because you invested in him that much. There has to be a plan in place. And you talked about the offensive minds that are in place. You need somebody that has the capability to get through to Kyler Murray to get the most out of Kyler Murray. I'm always intrigued about where these reports come from and why.
3: Like, I get it. It's championship Sunday. The NFL insiders need to have reports, they need to have information. So maybe that's part of why this comes out. Doesn't seem to be all that newsworthy unless it's Team Kyler, unless it's his agent, or maybe his dad saying, pump the brakes on any unrealistic expectations of him being there for week one or maybe even training camp. No. He's not going to rush. It's going to have to heal perfectly, quote-unquote. Or, if you want a conspiracy theory, is this report out there trying to tell the Saints that, you know what, if you take a pick next year, it could be a really good pick because the Cardinals are going to be without their franchise quarterback for at least a portion of the upcoming season. I always wonder, what is the genesis of a report like that? The how, why, when, where, and what does it all mean exactly? Who gains the most by that report from Ian Rappaport? And I love Calvisi
2: conspiracy theory. There's always always one, sometimes two, depending on what's going on in the offseason. So we've got one, maybe even two already.
3: Yeah, and the third is going to be when Drew later tells us what Tom Brady's doing, his former teammate, and if he's going to end up in the division and back with the 49ers who have their own quarterback injury issues – because those rumors are flying around big time in the last 24 hours. Go ask Gronk. Gronk will tell you. <laughs> Just ask Gronk.
4: That's right. <laughs> He'll pro-off right.
2: Well, Gronk will be in town soon, as will a lot of wow. people be in town for Super Bowl 57. Eagles and Chiefs more on that. As we continue here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. Cardinals still looking for a head coach. They do have a general manager. Some insights into Monty Austin Ford as we continue here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. The specifics in terms of of leadership, in developing players and coaches, in being a teacher of fundamentals, details, and techniques. We're trying to build a sustainable program here. This is not a short-term fix. So we want a a coach that sees the big picture and understands that we're not happy with just the results of 2023. We're building this for extended championship teams as we move forward. Cardinals general manager, Monty Austin Fort. In his introductory press conference on January 17th, officially named GM on Monday, January 16th. So yes, the search for a head coach continues, but what is the new general manager looking for? And you heard there, Paul, not just the quick fix. Yes, everyone would like to go from 4-13 and 13 to 13-4, and four, but... What do you do after that quick fix? Make it sustained success year after year after year, which Monty had in New England.
3: And he also had a real commitment to the line of scrimmage. And I think you're going to see that. And and I think what we saw in that opening press conference, we'll also see his supreme attention to detail. That's his reputation. And so I'm very curious, starting with the Senior Bowl that's going on right now, with the Cardinals talent evaluators out there, and his eye for talent, and then reportedly his assistant GM, Dave Sears. They've had a lot of home runs in Detroit the last couple of years running those drafts. We know the Rams' success in building that Super Bowl roster wasn't just the premier players, the Aaron Donalds and the Jalen Ramseys. They pulled a lot of really productive players out of day two and three, and that's the reputation of Imani Asenfort and Dave Sears, and I think that's where the attention to detail comes in. And We've already talked about over the last 15 drafts the Cardinals have drafted in the first or second round only two offensive linemen and interior defensive linemen only three and one of those is Clayus Campbell way back in 2008 so I think there's going to be more of a commitment to the line of scrimmage especially in the division you play you look at the Super Bowl teams or at least those four teams that were in the championship games they're all very very talented in the trenches, both sides of the line. Well, specifically the
2: offensive line, you just have one, and I'm not counting Rodney Hudson. I'm not expecting him to be here next season, but you only have one of your projected five starting offensive linemen under contract for next year, and that's D.J. Humphreys. But, Drew, it's always you build from the inside outs. In this case, either line of scrimmage, but in your background, it's you need a solid offensive line because if you don't have the protection, you don't have the running lanes, You have nothing offensively.
4: Yeah, I mean it starts up front on both sides of the ball and uh, the whole polypencil neck over there has got to figure it out because that's exactly where I would start from the standpoint of you have to be able to establish that line of scrimmage and you can feel it everywhere else, the effects of it, if you are stopping it and then also adapting and adjusting throughout the course of the game. Uh, You know, the the great teams that I've been on were able to assert themselves at the line of scrimmage and win at the line of scrimmage. And again, you see on the defensive side of the ball, when you don't have that capability to stop the run, you don't have the ability to get after the quarterback on third down in a true passing situation, you've got to bring more guys to the party. You've got to expose that back end. And when you can keep guys back there, you can keep the shell in place and get after them with four, those are the teams that have the success that's going to allow you to be able to do it. I mean, you look at Chris Jones last week. Week, and he just decided he was going to take over that game. Obviously, he did not like the comments about Burrowhead Stadium, and he came in there, and out of the plays that he was in there, even getting double-teamed, Right, you see guys that have the effect there and what they can do, and you have to make a concerted effort in the draft, because once you get them on your roster, you don't let them leave your building. You don't let those guys out you know, out of your building, because they are so hard to find, because they have such a drastic effect on an offense, on game planning, on all of these things. I mean, we've seen it firsthand with Aaron Donald and what that effect can be. And again, nobody would have been able to predict him being that good, but you've got to draft them in order to see if you can develop them or they come in guns blazing right off the bat.
2: Looking for starters, you're looking for depth as well. Something the voice of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Keith, discussed recently on the Big Red Rage.
1: I think that's what Monty has helped do well here in his time about how you're going to piece together. Not just the 1 through 10. I think a lot of us could get the 1 through 10. It's the 11 through 69, counting the practice squad. That's really the trick. And that's where I think that Austin for training and what he's going to get across to staff is going to show up. I think the Cardinals will be a much deeper team in terms of players that can help them over a period of time. Paul, all you have
2: to do is look at the number of different offensive line combinations this team had this past season. There were 10. Now, you look at the two teams still alive, and their health on the offensive line has been phenomenal. Now, you got to be a little bit lucky as well to get this far, but when you're having that constant turnover, not sure which five you're going to have week in or week out, if you do lose somebody or several players as the Cardinals did – Who's that next guy?
3: Next couple of guys, are they ready? Are they capable? KC and Philly's offensive lines have been so healthy, it's almost incomprehensible based on the season we just experienced with the Arizona Cardinals. Chiefs have missed two starts all year, both by the left guard. The Eagles have missed three offensive line starts all year, two by the right tackle, one by the left tackle. then Think of all the starts the Cardinals lost. How many starters they just lost for the season? And then to talk about the defensive line and to build on Drew's point, you know, that NFC championship, the Eagles had a 62% quarterback pressure rate which was the Eagles' highest. I think that's the highest in a playoff game in the next gen stat era, which goes back to like 2016. And then the AFC championship, KC had five sacks of Joe Burrow and Chris Jones had eight pressures and they tracked those eight plays. He had there were three sacks, two by him, one by someone else and then five incompletions.
4: So that pressure on the quarterback was extremely effective against Joe Burrow. Yeah, and it can have that effect on the game, right? And you look at these guys. But I think on top of that, right, not only drafting those guys and doing it, it's developing those guys. So you look at that I am a firm believer the scheme can actually help the offensive linemen stay healthy. What they're running, what they're doing, the the, um, disconnect, if you will, between the offensive line, the play calls, the run game, all of that stuff rears its ugly head. And sometimes when you get all these guys on the same page and you get the continuity and you get all this – uh, it allows you to go out there and play as a unit. When you are able to run the football when you do all of these things and you can kind of adapt and adjust to what's going on, that scheme is going to play into that. And when you can get after the quarterback and you don't have to send a bunch of guys and you can keep guys fresh. I don't know what the numbers are. You're next gen stack guy. So how many snaps did Chris Jones have? That's a great question. I did not see that. I think I 35. I saw 35. I don't know if that's true or not. That actually sounds light, but no yeah. wonder he's so effective. Yeah, and he got double teamed 31 out of 35 <sighs> snaps, I think. Wow. So, in saying that, you've got to change your scheme to try and stop Chris Jones and doing all this. There's so many games within the game that you don't realize until you're watching it. And then all of a sudden, he gets a one-on-one rush against their arguably the least talented of the five offensive linemen at right tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals when it matters most. Gets a sack, all of a sudden they punt the ball. So you're posturing, setting everything up for when it matters most. They did different offensive line calls to try to get a five down call by that so the center has to stay solid and Chris Jones is going to get a one-on-one. There's so many different things you can do within the scheme that are able to do that. Much on top of offensive linemen typically get hurt when they get rolled up on. What's happening there? So how you do stuff, how you teach stuff all of that plays into being able to stay healthy and being able to do it and then negate these fierce pass rushers we're seeing opposite of you
2: well there's two game wreckers potentially in this year's draft in jalen carter and will anderson when you're holding that number three overall pick do you take one of those two if they are available, or again, that talking of trading back because there are a number of holes on this team, both offense and defense. For more on what the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals may or may not do, Mike Keith, again, voice of the Tennessee Titans on what he saw in Austin Ford's three seasons in Titans
1: in the Tennessee Titans. One of the more popular people on the football side with the non-football folks, meaning he's a really good guy. But he's got all the requisite skills that come from being trained in the way that he was. And that discipline will, will work with his style overall. And that's because he will be able to blend the personality and the fact that he gets along with folks with that discipline of how he's going to do that job based on that Patriots training I think you sort of get the best of both worlds with Monty Asitford.
2: Again, that is the voice of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Keith, recently on the Big Red Rage. Monty has already made one decision, and that's, according to reports, hiring assistant general manager Dave Sears, Lions director of college scouting. Not official via the Arizona Cardinals, although Chris Spielman with the Detroit Lions on the Wolf and Luke show talking up Dave Sears. He is
1: a, a talented evaluator as I've been around. I've been around a lot of them in my football life. He is a team guy. He is a leader because he led our college department. He's a great communicator. He's not looking to serve Dave Sears. He's looking to serve the Arizona Cardinals, probably one of the humblest, smartest football men I've been around. Mm -hmm. He's a young guy. I think it's no surprise that he was plucked from our staff, people that know him and, and been around him. He knows what he's doing and he's excellent at a talent evaluator.
2: Whether it's Mike Keith or Chris Spillman talking about Monty Asinfort and Dave Sears respectively, Paul, it's that talent evaluator. And this team, whether it's in free agency, which comes before the draft or the draft at the end of April,
3: what are you evaluating? What does this team need and the direction moving forward? I like the fact Dave Sears was around Aaron Donald. I like the fact Dave Sears was in Detroit and they were a part of that decision and an evaluation of Aiden Hutchinson. Because where are you at number three in the draft? It's most likely going to be Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. So if Jalen Carter is him, as the kids say, if Jalen Carter is Aaron Donald, if he's Chris Jones, then absolutely, you stick at number 3 and you take that guy. Although I love the scenario of Indianapolis trading up one and taking their quarterback, and then you get a second-round pick and you trade back to four and you I still like get your too. guy. I love that. I love that scenario. But regardless, regardless, if you can get that game record right or you can build your offensive line. like The Niners went into that championship game with the world's best front seven, or at least arguably, and that that Eagles offensive line led by Jason Kelsey, they had 12 first-down runs, they had... A half dozen chunk runs of 10 or more yards. They had 93 yards before contact. And I know that Niners defense caved in in the second half because they had no quarterback and things got lopsided. But to me, that's the key to this Super Bowl. Is this that Philly offensive line? What are they going to be able to do against Frank Clark, Chris Jones? Because based on what we saw in the NFC Championship, they're equipped. Well, we talked so much about the Bengals' offensive line the week
2: prior, and then all of a sudden, oh, those three backups held their own, and then you facing the Chiefs and Chris Jones, and all of a sudden that Bengals' offensive line wasn't as good. And that's just – that's what happens.
4: Yeah, well, then you also got to stop Frank Clark, and you got to be able to stop everybody else, and that's the depth – you know, that you hear Mike Keith talk about with what's going on in Monte Austin Fort being able to bring that here. So I think you look at that, you feel good about what he wants to bring to the table because you're going to, if you keep them, they're going to have to play at some point. Then again, the Niners tried to block Hassan Reddick with a tight end. You're like, well, what's going on back there? I don't know why teams do that. That still blows my mind. I remember sitting back there and I'd be like, why are we blocking him with him? Is he offensive lineman? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Speaking of Hassan Reddick, the former Arizona Cardinals draft pick, wrecking that game in the first eight minutes. We'll talk about the NFC Championship and the AFC Championship as we continue as the Arizona Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network.
3: We're down to five seconds. And the Eagles have been the NFC's best team all season long. Zero's on the clock and they will carry that momentum with big wins in the divisional round against the Giants and here in the championship round against San Francisco all the way to Arizona and Super Bowl 57. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to the Super Bowl again. A convincing 31 seven
1: win over San Francisco.
2: Back in the Super Bowl, looking for their second championship in six years. Kevin Harlan on Westwood 1, the final call of the NFC Championship game. Eagles over the 49ers, 31-7. to It was lopsided. It was lopsided, Paul, very early in that game after Brock Purdy gets knocked out of it with an elbow injury, which we now know is a torn UCL and is going to require six months of rehab after surgery. You bring in your backup, Josh Johnson. He suffers a concussion. Purdy has to come back and just hands the ball off. And at that point, the game had already been decided. But an
3: impressive showing by the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to say this now before Eagles fans start descending on the Valley. Okay, so uh, Because I might fear for my life if I say this next week. But has a team ever had an easier path to a Super Bowl? Has a team ever earned a Super Bowl less than the Eagles? Just trouncing the Giants. Yes, they earned the bye. I get it. But then, <laughs> Niners team that lost Brock Purdy, already the third-string quarterback and a rookie on the first series, and then Josh Johnson who went out early in the second half, and they essentially played the whole second half without a quarterback. So I ask you guys: Is a team ever had an easier path to a Super
4: Bowl than the Eagles 2022? I would have put Christian McCaffrey at quarterback.
2: It seemed like they were. At one I point mean, I, they I, were trying to. I, get the speaker I would have done helmet.
4: it. Yeah, I, I would have done that hundred percent because it was still somewhat close at that point. You've got an opportunity, but to your point, right? They also earned that. They jumped out on every single team. The thing that's going to be interesting: when they didn't jump out on the Washington Commanders, they lost. Right, they jumped out on every single team this year. And when they do that, you have the ability to stay two-dimensional. You can run the football. You can do all these things. The Kansas City Chiefs jump out on teams too. So if the Kansas City Chiefs jump out on the Philadelphia Eagles – Can Jalen Hurts actually throw the football when he has to, to be able to do it? That's going to be the biggest question mark. The Super Bowl, I'm not going to be here next week, so i got to get my own little nugget in for for that, (laughs) since Vandenbosch is taking my spot. But in saying that, they have done such a masterful job of running the football, being able to understand situational football. Their offensive line coach, I was with at Michigan State, the best in the league, arguably, but how well he has those guys playing all on the same page, all of these things he is a tremendous coach, he's getting his due respect, he has been a carryover for Nick Sirianni, he's been there since Chip Kelly, he is special when it comes to offensive line play getting these guys to play together and you've got veterans across the board. You talked about the continuity that exists there. And when they get up on people, they impose their will on people. And then as soon as you try to put more people in the box, because they're doing that, they're going to play action. And then there's going to be even more separation on the scoreboard. So much like the the San Francisco 49ers did a masterful job of when we sit there and say, well, they just don't beat themselves. These teams at this point, they don't beat themselves. And injuries kind of play into it. But... That's going to be the thing is these this teams that like to establish the run first and do all of that. What happens if the run gets taken away?
3: No, yeah. No, it's, and look at that Eagles offensive line. Jason Kelsey, an all pro center. We know that. Lane Johnson, an all pro right tackle. Their left tackle, 6'8, 360. Can't pronounce his name. He was a Pro Bowl alternate. And not like Tyler Huntley today being named to the Pro. He was a legitimate Pro Bowl alternate the first time around, okay? So you take that offensive line. But to your point, you look at that NFC championship game and that. That initial opening touchdown by Philly, they got a big break on the Devontae Smith fourth down reception. Fox never showed an angle, and Philly was smart enough to get on the ball right away and snap it. No doubt about that. And then at the end of the first half, obviously the 49ers imploded. For the first time maybe all year, you saw the Niners truly beat themselves. Three defensive penalties on that touchdown drive. Then they had the turnover deep in their own and boom, all of a sudden 14 points tacked on and what was a 7-7 game and it'll be in 21-7 at halftime and then considering the quarterback situation, game over. Three total turnovers, 11 total penalties by the 49ers and
2: that league's number 1 ranked defense had 148 rushing yards allowed on them in that game and that's they wore down out all the scoring for the Philadelphia Eagles as far as touchdowns came on the ground and that is to your point you look back at when the Cardinals played the Eagles in week five it was 14 to nothing five minutes into the second quarter this game as well and you jump out and then all of a sudden you can hand the ball off to your stable of running backs
4: yeah and then you get more manageable down in distance you feel good about it because you're like hey we're going to kick this away we're not going to put the ball in harm's way we're trying to shrink this game down much like to bring up a sore subject the Arizona Cardinals did such a good job of last year Right, They would close out games with James Conner. That four-minute offense, they go into four-minute mode. The Philadelphia Eagles go into it earlier because they have the capability of Jalen Hurts. They can do different things, and they can be able to stay on schedule within there and wear you down. And they take pride in wearing you down. They take pride in taking the number one defense in the league, rush defense, out to the deep waters and drowning them, to steal Dan Campbell's quote, right? Yeah. To be able to do that. You take pride in that. When you can take somebody's will and you do what they do best and then you take it to them and just do that, you strip them of the confidence and then those guys are waving the white flag come the fourth quarter. They are they are already halfway back on the plane ready to get out of there and start their off season.
3: I think in 2021 you bring that up, James Conner, I automatically think a week four in the big win at the Rams to go 4-0, You jack L.A., and you had a 12-play drive, 11 runs, and a field goal. And you took over eight minutes off the clock. It was was a thing of beauty. I kind of sound like Wolfley right now. But everyone on the sideline, defensive guys getting up off the bench because you're running the ball with impunity. And what is it, Drew? You tell me if I'm accurate on this. In my almost 20 years on the sideline, when you're able to physically run the football and just jack a front seven, It just stokes a sideline. Guys just get fired up. Defensive guys get fired up watching that. Beanie Wells back in the day, James Conner, these big backs, and when they're just trucking dudes, and you're running the
4: ball four or five yards a carry. There's just something that, I don't know, it just ignites the sideline. Well, and when you know it's coming and you can't stop it, that's the biggest thing right once you smell that once you taste that once you experience that and you just keep going and going and going they they know it's coming and you line up again okay let's do it again let's do it again boom, you guys would boom. do that at seattle 22 and 23 double yeah oh yeah you know you see it time and time again of like okay who is going to break who is going to tap out? Who's going to do any of this stuff? Because it's going to be that way, and it's not going to be pretty. That's a far cry from what the NFL is today, but the teams that can do that, the teams that have the ability to do that, those are the teams that close out games. Because, again, you're going back to old-school football. You're protecting the football. You're lining up in you know the, the old run drills where it's nine on seven, and you're at a disadvantage as an offense, but you've got to be able to do it. They're adding safeties in the box. I, mean, I, I remember doing that, and I was like – You sit there and you hand the ball off and say, okay, how can we do it? It's all will. It's want to. It's effort. It's the wherewithal to say, I am going to line up and I'm going to beat the person next to me. And that becomes infectious. And like you said, that has an effect on a defense that's saying, man— we're going to get the ball back, and there's only going to be a fraction of time left. We're we're in a win-win situation no matter what happens here. So all of those things play into it. Much like you saw Kansas City, you think of them, and you're like, they don't want to run the ball. Isaiah Pacheco, the way he runs the football, is angry. Mm. And we'll talk about that the next segment because we'll get to the AFC championship. But Yeah, so, they, yeah we'll save it.
2: Seventh-round draft pick, Isaiah Pacheco, by the way. And uh quick shout-out here to Hassan Redick, two sacks. Of the three that the Eagles had against the 49ers. I don't know, Paul. Is it better to have the Eagles in this facility versus the NFC West rival 49 ers
3: I mean, I don't know. I tell you, we all know Hassan Reddick and just what a good human being he is. He's now one of the best defenders on the planet. But for him to endure what he endured for three years where they tried to make him an inside linebacker and he never complained. He really didn't. He tried. Didn't quite work. I think he was a little skeptical like most people. But they kept trying, and he kept participating. And now look what he's doing off the edge. Unbelievable. You're happy for the person, and you're excited about the player when you talk about Hassan Reddick. 19 and a half sacks in 19 games this year.
2: This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network.
0: chiefs win the afc championship and get revenge against the bengals
1: 23
0: to 20 the final at arrowhead it'll be the chiefs and the eagles in super bowl 57
2: the voice by an eagle on westwood one the afc championship game as the previous four meetings between the Chiefs and Bengals decided by a mere three points. Harrison Butker nailing a 45-yard field goal with three seconds left, and the Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl looking for their second championship in four years. Their third appearance in four years and perhaps fitting paul because it was week one at state farm stadium the chiefs beat the cardinals and now they'll end their 2022 season at state farm stadium in the super bowl
3: anybody who was at that game or watched that game week one where kansas city came out and they were most definitely regular season ready and the cardinals were not they came out and they scored touchdowns in their opening three possessions of the season Dare I say, nobody who saw that? I mean, we're talking like a quarter and a half into this season is surprised that Kansas City is now coming back to State Farm Stadium for Super Bowl Fifty Seven. That's how good they looked. Patrick Mahomes five touchdown passes in that Week One game. Now only had
2: two in beating the Bengals and playing on a high ankle sprain. Drew, and you are perfectly uh, the right person to ask this because what we saw, and then that's you know a four to six week. Injury Now Buda Baker came back, play safety, but still you need that mobility. What did you see out of Mahomes and what he was able to do, and especially that third and four, picking it up, and then you tack on the 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty?
4: Yeah, I mean, you just look at the competitor, right? And to your point, high ankle sprains, the only thing they can do to heal is time. He didn't have time on his side. Buddha didn't have time on his side. But these superhuman guys that can take that competitive nature to another level and will themselves and then in the process will their teammates – to victory is where they separate them from even these professional athletes Uh, so you look at that and you see okay you knew eventually he was going to have to test that thing and put it to an extreme amount of stress to be able to play the way that we're all capable of seeing Patrick Mahomes play to and you saw him roll left one time and he had to try and make this throw that was a pivotal I think it was a third down and he tried to stick his foot in the ground and absolutely rip it off that foot and he came up limping I was like did he get hit? They showed the replay didn't get hit. But he had to go all out in that moment. And that took an effect on him for the rest of the game. So then you're taking calculated risks throughout the rest of the game. Of like, Okay, I can't really push off of this. Because when the injury is fresh, right, and you have something throughout the course of the game, the adrenaline will get you through the rest of that game. The next morning you wake up and you're like, I can't barely move this thing. So he gave a lot of love to the training staff. You work on that all of this to try and get the swelling out of there, keep it mobile, keep it moving around. You get in the game, you know, you do whatever you need to do to get ready to play. I don't know what he did. Um, I know what I would do. Um, and, And so you look at that, And you say you're going to be tested. And then on that third down when it's absolutely crucial to get whatever you can get to try and get into field goal range. And you got to press the envelope. It just shows what he was willing to do for the people around him. And much like Paulie was talking about before, when you can run the ball, the effect it has on that sideline, when you see Patrick Mahomes take off and try and put his nose down, and he did it to play like maybe – earlier in the drive and didn't get much out of it. And I was like, no, he's he's in a different frame of mind at this point. Knowing, right, your top wide receivers are out, you lost your corner, your, you know, your, your star tight end is having back spasms, all of these things. Can you push through? Can you find a way to get it done when it matters most? Because, uh, you know, like the week before we heard, you know, Sirianni talk about Michael Jordan and Jalen Hurts, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> This was that type of a performance where you find something in yourself that most people would sit there and say, I'm not going to go there. But you pair that with the ability that Patrick Mahone has, and Patrick Mahomes can go out there and do this. I, I mean, unanimous MVP for what he's done, for what he means to his team and being out there. Chad Henney did a tremendous job of going on a 98-yard drive, but Patrick Mahomes had to be Patrick Mahomes when it mattered most and he was. Can you imagine how sore he must have been Monday morning? (laughs) When the
3: adrenaline Still sore. and whatever else wore off Monday morning, just how sore he must it's, have been. Yeah, well, it's easier after a victory, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, he'd be even sure.
4: more sore uh, yeah.
3: you know, if he was on a flight to Cancun. And, and that's my takeaway. Look, you played the position for a really good living. But my takeaway watching those two championship games were the two winning quarterbacks. Neither one was 100%. Jalen Hurts was dealing with his shoulder. And yeah, I, I rolled my eyes at the Michael Jordan as well. But Jalen Hurts, like Patrick Mahomes, like Joe Burrow, is the culture of those teams. Cincinnati hadn't won a playoff game in 31 years until Joe Burrow showed up last year and took care of that and took him to the Super Bowl. To me, that's where the young quarterbacks watching those two games, that's the takeaway. One, You're not always going to be perfect and feeling 100%. percent you still got to find a way because everyone else is looking at you. And two, you are the heartbeat of your team just based on the position you play.
2: Well, and with Holmes finding a way without three of his better wide receivers, and yeah, you got Travis Kelsey, which is always helpful, but you brought up Isaiah Pacheco in our last segment. We can talk about him here now. A seventh-round pick coming up big when it matters most. Not a huge name, but within that offense, he's perfect.
4: Yeah, and you look at everybody, you saw the slow transition. Everybody's like, well, why isn't Clyde O'Lear playing right now? What's going on? And now you're seeing why his playtime diminished and you saw Isaiah Pacheco's increase, even in the past game. I mean, you throw a check down to him, and he is getting yards. He is getting north and south. He is trying to punish people with the ball in his hands. And you look at these guys, and the playoffs is all about which quarterback is playing the best football when it matters most. Right, that's what it's going to come down to. You think about years past, and I'm sure it's going to pain you to bring up Matthew Stafford, but he was playing extremely high level last year. You think about Tom Brady the year before, playing at a high level. All of these things matter at the most posi- most important position in football can they go out there and get the job done throughout the course of the playoffs and we're seeing these guys step up to that challenge day three running backs yeah i think at the end of the season the cardinals road
3: trip to atlanta tyler algier the fifth round rookie out of byu guys a player you can find them on day three these running backs they're out there drew you're not here next week so
2: we need a super bowl winner eagles versus chiefs kansas city
4: just got a score just just a gut feeling just a gut feeling yeah it's going to be a good game again i don't think philly can drop back and beat you in a passing game if they you know if they're down All right. he said it case takes the lead and philly can't come yeah. back right that's the formula super
2: bowl 57 coming up on sunday february 12th at state farm stadium special thanks behind the scenes jim Almahundro, zach larson for drew stanton paul Calvici. i'm craig Real. we'll talk to you in one week's time here on the arizona cardinals radio network